0: me a go-no-go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true.
1: I I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history.
0: We are go for launch.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 103. We are recording on Sunday, December 6th at 5 o'clock P.M. Pacific Time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Thank you so much for joining us. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz. Guys, I want to start off by throwing something at you that I, we've been meaning to mention for a couple episodes now, and we keep on forgetting, so I'm going to start it off. Uh, we got a great, uh, some great comments on our on our 100th episode, Sideways Deep Dive, and we had one from another huge Sideways fan that said... That gave us a trivia question that said that at some point in the movie, there is a beer involved. And he asked us when it happened. And I honestly have no idea what the answer to that is. Do either of you know where beer pops up in Sideways?
0: Well, since we talked about that on the podcast, no. I We obviously don't know, I would say. But uh, <laughs> I think it's got to be like at Stephanie's or something. Or it's got to be like on the table at... At Phyllis's or something. I I, I don't mm. think I don't think it could be anywhere else because I, I feel like I could see Stephanie sipping on a beer at her house, but I can't. I can't say for sure.
1: My guess would be the hotel. Kind of lounge where Jack reveals that he wants oh. to marry no, Stephanie.
0: because but we talked about that. That is, there is nothing but wine in that place. They have the wine yeah. glasses up over the bar, even like it's
1: possibly. But doesn't it feel like there should be a be- beer in that scene? It does. It does.
0: Maybe it's at Cammy's because I mean, those people don't drink wine.
2: <laughs> That's a good call, man.
1: But I don't know. Or maybe I've it's never at the re- it. maybe
0: maybe it's at the restaurant we meet
2: Cammy past a buffalo yeah yeah yeah
0: because they don't order drinks as far as i as far as i can recall
2: but if it's like a specific beer like he said what kind of beer is it like that that wouldn't just be something you'd get on tap at a restaurant it you're, you're be, looking at a can, a bottle
0: that you see somewhere
2: or it's not, at the bar not in you miles see the classroom tap. <laughs> it's not in Miles' classroom no <laughs> that would be bad <laughs> This isn't the movie Doubt. uh, Wrong movie. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a great question, though. If any of you know the answer to this question, hit us up on Twitter, at Almost Sideways. Tell us what the answer is, because we really don't know, and we would love to find out.
1: I think the more interesting question is, who out there is a huge Almost Sideways fan? Can we meet this person? Yeah, I, I don't know... If I, all right, we have him as a guest? I do not think I'm a sideways
2: fan. I said he's a sideways fan. Oh, I, I, that makes a little more he, sense. I don't think he gives a crap about us. He just heard we were talking sideways and had to listen.
1: <laughs> well, we could have him on, too. Why not? Why
0: not, right? Uh, yeah, if nobody can figure it out in the next, like, two weeks, we should uh, we should find out if we can get this guy on the podcast. Cause, I'm, I
2: mean, or, or we're just going to end up watching it again. Like... <laughs> One of us will watch Sideways again before the end of the year Yes, for to sure. figure this out, if we don't know the answer yet.
0: And then it'll all be right. like playing Grand Theft Auto Vice City, where you have to look for the, all, all the little things. It's like, we yeah. are going to be stopping <laughs> it at every point, just like looking at every corner, where is that beer? <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. Or maybe it'll be oh, like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. the Mulholland Drive DVD when David you know, Lynch <laughs> tells you, you know, the seven clues to this movie, locate the beer <laughs> somewhere it's very meaningful
2: uh yep yep exactly exactly uh yes it, it'll be the easter egg of uh, of sideways from now on and and then once we see it we'll never be able to unsee it like that will that scene will be the beer scene like from then on yeah. <laughs> all right well uh well zach what are you drinking today
1: uh, I'm drinking my favorite holiday beverage, which is an eggnog and Kahlua, and if someone out there wants to name this nice. beverage, um, you can. It's making uh, an appearance on this podcast uh, like it does every December, so cheers and happy holidays. Nice.
2: Very nice. I, I like it. I approve. I approve for festive festive beverages. Todd, what do you got? Uh,
0: I'm drinking the Lone Hand Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Which, it's just, I mean, it's just good. It's got a little bit of sweetness in there, so this will be fun. I like that I'm not the only one drinking liquor this time.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> well, I've got beer, so I've got my grenade filled. And uh, I, went, I went to Ridgewalker, and um, I, I was really excited because they had one of my favorite beers on tap. Uh, that, it's not a Ridgewalker beer, but uh, out of Elysian, they had Space Dust on tap nice so so i had to get some space dust and so that's what i'm drinking today so uh i'm excited i'm ready to rock so what is that
0: 12 point something
2: percent no space dust is like 8.4
0: oh that's okay
2: you must be thinking something else the one i drank last week was like 11.4 or something it was insane all right Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you've made it this far into the podcast, congratulations. You've already seen us geek out a little bit over something. And if you've made it this far, keep listening. And also make sure that you subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, YouTube. Um, Make sure you check out all of that. Uh, Make sure you check out Daily Notes, the side project of Almost Sideways. That is also on this channel uh adam just uh just like right as we started recording i uploaded his latest episode where he reviews one of the movies that we're going to review today as well as uh talks to a couple uh youtube personalities uh called latinx lens so um check that out uh that is now up but let's get into uh we've got a lot to talk about today so let's get into what we uh what we watched this week and we're gonna start with zach what'd
1: you watch Alright, this week I watched the one and only film that as of 2020 is the only international film, best international film nominee from the country of Vietnam, and this film is The Scent of Green Papaya from 1993, directed by Tron Anh Hung. And I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Um, I think he's made, he must be the most prodigious Vietnamese director because I've actually heard of some of his films. He made uh, Ciclo and The Vertical Ray of the Sun, which were kind of like New Yorker, sort of niche indie uh, art films in their early 2000s. Um, the set of Green Papaya tells the story of a Vietnamese servant girl named Mui. And she's sent to live with this more affluent family in Saigon in the early 1950s in Vietnam. And uh, she works for them as basically this sort of house girl and servant. Um, What's kind of interesting about this family is I think part of the reason they take her in is because they had a young daughter of their own that died. They also live with the husband's um, mother, who lives in the kind of apartment or loft area above them. Um, This is a movie that is um, also a French co-production. It's a beautiful movie to watch. Absolutely stunning visuals. uh, Very elegiac. uh, you know, there, there's not a whole lot that happens in the story. It mostly just kind of covers this girl as she grows from you know a preteen into a young woman in her 20s. And she's always working in this kind of dom- domestic servitude. Um, and in that way, it's a little reminiscent of Roma. Um, it, it doesn't quite have um, the sort of precise uh, crit- critique of class warfare that you would maybe see in a movie like Parasite. But um, it is a really interesting movie. It's a little slow-paced. Um, but again, it kind of puts you in the mood. It takes you to a different time Time and place. There's no mention at all of the Vietnam War or the French um, involvement in, in Vietnam, which is sort of interesting. And, you know, the, the second half of the movie kind of charts this girl's uh, growth in a more kind of conventional movie format. Um, in terms of narrative the move, whole movie was shot in a giant set which looks a little fake but i think it's kind of interesting i give it a solid three stars um i want to watch more southeast uh, asian cinema and uh this is a movie that again is historic for its oscar nomination but also was a big hit at can and got a lot of uh, rave uh, reviews in the early 90s so it is currently available on canopy well worth your time sort of a different change of pace movie nice
2: nice i like i like that niche I, I just you should just start um reviewing just like foreign oscar nominees yeah like that yeah. should be your thing
1: yeah if you like asmr videos probably a good one to pick if you want to fall asleep to something without feeling too guilty about it it's a very calming sooth- <laughs> soothing movie which in 2020 we need more of
2: all right all right good moving on to uh to our day our weekly dose of nicholas cage todd what'd you watch
0: Okay, so naturally I needed to watch a 2010s war movie starring Nicolas Cage. So <laughs> I went with 2016's Mario Van Peebles directed the USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Um, and it is a true story. It's in, set said 1945 uh, where Cage plays the captain of the USS Indianapolis, which is a heavy cruiser that just dropped off the Hiroshima bomb. And then it gets attacked by the Japanese army, but since... Uh, the entire thing is a, a secret mission. Uh, no, there's no rescue that's involved because the whole thing sinks and they're stranded at sea. But the kicker is the waters are completely infested with sharks. And you know this story already because it was immortalized in Jaws by Quint because he was part of that mission. Uh, the movie is interesting. Uh, the CGI is horrible as are the like backdrops. Like I don't know how, but they made the sky look fake. I I I don't know, and and like they, they make they make ordinary look like comic books. Like if it's so overstuffed with nothingness, it, it's kind of weird. Um, there's also this like totally lame subplot about these two navy guys that were on the ship, but it's telling their backstory about how they both fell in love with the same girl and one of them knocked her up. It's basically Pearl Harbor, and yeah, that's the kind of movie we want to emulate here. Uh, it it's it's strange. Uh, it starts out with like this chaotic action sequence, and we have this romance budding, and then we have like scenes in the Pentagon with and with uh, discussing what Truman needs to do next, and we have these like horror elements with the sharks. Understandably, there's like serious mood swings, uh, tonal disasters. It, it's it's kind of a mess, but I really do like Cage in these kind of military settings. I think Windtalkers is sort of. Uh, unfairly maligned i in, in this movie he's subtle but he's like confident he has like voiceovers that remind you of his character in like national treasure or something like that you actually buy him as being the boss it feels important uh, but it meanders a lot it stinks it really thinks it's like this like band of brothers level war epic it is a heroic story but i don't know why it had to be told like this i va- i blame van peebles because he has shown nothing but mediocrity since he made badass i uh, i've given it one and a half stars it will not be on my top five uh, war movies of the 2010s list. I have it number 67 on my cage scale between Arsenal and Amos and Andrew. USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, a long title, and a long movie.
2: All right. All right. I had no idea that movie existed. I had never heard of it before.
0: I, I, it's, <laughs> I think it's on Netflix. It must have been almost like a straight-to-streaming, because I remember that, seeing the, the poster of that movie, like, for the first time after it was already on video.
1: Yeah, I so it doesn't follow the rule that any cage movie with a colon is a good movie, like uh, you know, B- Bad Lieutenant, Call New Orleans, or um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. This this one not so much.
0: No, no, th- this would be on the lower scale of that. Wait, I mean, but that that is an that is interesting. I'll have to I'll have to see how many of those there actually are.
1: <laughs> Vengeance a <of> love story. <laughs>
0: oh yeah my yeah the 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 first cage review on this podcast yes exactly (laughs)
2: uh awesome awesome all right well i'm continuing my look uh at uh anniversary movies uh for my review i'm i looked i've got five movies left on my list so i may have to double up a couple weeks uh coming up to get through the whole list but it's been it's been a lot of fun there's only been one movie so far i haven't been able to find so uh, so that's been good. So this week, I'm going back to 1990. And so here, here's a little bit of trivia to start off. 1990, this film was nominated for five Oscars, winning one. And one of those Oscars was Best Foreign Film. It was nominated for Foreign Film as well as four others. It did not win Foreign Film. It won something else.
1: Cyrano de Bergerac?
2: Cyrano de Bergerac, yes.
1: Nice.
2: It won It won Best Costume Design, uh, was nominated for Best Actor, uh, Best Art Direction, Best Makeup, and yes, Best Foreign Film uh, as the France Submission. Yeah, so Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, directed by Jean-Paul Rapineau, uh, starring Gérard Depardieu as the titular Cyrano. Uh, and it's the classic story. Uh, I know I read this in high school of... Um, of a man with a gigantic nose and uh, he feels like he is completely deformed because of this and he falls in love with this girl and this but this girl loves somebody else and that person loves loves her as well and so he decides to try and kind of be matchmaker in a way because the guy she's in love with He's like an idiot, he's a simpleton, he can't talk, he can't think really well, and she is this very high, highbrow, high thinker, and would, and that's one of the things that he loves about her, and that's what he is. So he writes the love letters for her, or for him, to give to her. Uh, there's the famous the famous scene in it is when, um, is when you have an almost like Romeo and Juliet moment where the girl's on the balcony and the, and the man is down below... And Cyrano is under the balcony, feeding him the lines to say. Um, but uh, as it goes along, the girl fa- starts falling in love with him. Or not falling in love with him directly, but falling in love with his soul and his uh, his mind uh, through this other person. And so he's realizing that looks really don't matter, that it's what's on the inside that counts. And that's kind of the whole moral of the story. Um this is... Uh, I've seen Gerard Depardieu in a lot of different... or Not not a ton of stuff, but some more recent stuff. This is actually the third Gerard Depardieu movie I've watched this year that was an Oscar nominee. <laughs> the other two came from the year 2000, uh, which was kind of weird. It was... Uh, oh, what was the one called? Uh, Vatel. And then uh, he was also randomly in 102 Dalmatians in a just repulsive role. But um, I think he he's kind of become more of like a tabloid. How, how, what has he done wrong type of deal? This was Gerard Depardieu in his element and about, and as, as good as he possibly could have been. Um, this, this is like the role he was born to play. He was perfect. He was perfect. And he totally earned his Oscar nomination. And, um, and so looking at him here, it's like, now I understand why Gerard Depardieu was a big deal because if this is what, this is him at his peak. I, I get it. Um, the 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 story like i said it's a classic story that's been told many times uh this does a fairly good job at it there's some battle scenes that are pretty hokey and pretty corny uh that don't really hold up very well um and uh i i was ready to you know say it's a great adaptation until the last scene the last scene like ruins the whole movie and it and it goes on way too long and and it's just it it needed i mean you need that little it needs to be there but not like that it was like comically bad and ruined the vibe of the entire movie uh so that dropped it i'm giving it a i'm giving it two and a half stars i really wanted to give it three stars but man that ending was bad it it was just and it was just like the last last like 10 minutes because the last scene took 10 minutes um and and it needed to be like too it did not need it, it it focused on the wrong it focused on the wrong things I didn't like it the the ending ruined it ruined it but other than that I mean it's Cyrano it's it's a solid story and yeah Gerard Depardieu in his element in that movie for sure have either of you seen uh this adaptation of Cyrano
0: I have not I have not seen that one no
1: like I said it, it's good until the end I mean yeah Terry, you should see Jean de Florette. That's that's Gerard Depardieu's best role. That was made a few years earlier. That was yeah, yeah. He plays a hunchback in that movie, but he's very good.
2: So, so he's only good if he's deformed. Got it?
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's sort of like his niche.
2: That's his niche. That's his niche. Uh, Playing playing the deformed man with the heart of gold. Yeah, that's Uh, actually
1: his role in Jean de Florette too. So, yeah,
2: perfect. (laughs) Well, I, I'm sure if he's the main character in The Hunchback, that's the only way those that character is could be portrayed. All right. So that's what we've been watching. Now let's get to our featured reviews.
1: I love this movie so much.
2: I did not really like this film at all.
1: This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it.
2: Movie reviews. Yes, I said reviews because we have two of them we're going to be talking about. And we are starting... And and I mean this is we're in December now, now we're getting in heavily into Oscar season. Even though for some reason we still have three months of Oscar movies to worry about before we get to, uh, before we get to uh, the the cutoff because they're going to the end of February now. Uh, but I mean the, I feel like the month of December there is just chock full of great movies that we're going to be talking about all through the 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 season leading to the Oscars and. The first one we're going to talk about is one of the big heavy hitters that came to Netflix this weekend. It is Mank. Mank. It's awesome, Wells. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankiewicz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 Mank? This is Herman Mankiewicz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankiewicz.
0: God bless, William Randolph Hearst. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale?
1: Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well said 60. I'm doing the best I can. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. You owe me, Herman. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is what you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble, a collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. Him, I get. But what did Marion ever do to deserve it's this? It's not her. Not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie, you are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can, especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction, eliminated
0: every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you
1: a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of what? Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey?
2: (laughs) Uh, Directed by David Fincher, written by uh, his, I think it's his father, Jack Fincher. Uh, And Zach, I'm going to go to you first to tell us all about Mink and what you thought.
1: Okay, so Mank is the, like Terry was saying, the latest film by David Fincher. It's his first film since Gone Girl. I think there's a lot of excitement kind of surrounding it. Fincher is one of those kind of last directors who still hasn't been recognized by the Academy. This may be one of his um, big chances of maybe picking up a Best Act, a best Director Oscar for it. Uh, the film tells the story of Herman Mankiewicz, who was the writer of Citizen Kane and oftentimes people you know see uh, Wells' name as the writer and just assume that he's the, the author of it too. Um, but the film Mank tells a completely different story. It kind of uh, does this sort of um, parallel narratives between um, present day and the, I think, late 30s, or maybe 1940, when um, Herman Mankiewicz is in Victorville, California, Um, and he is recovering from an automobile accident and he's very hungover and he is transcribing this script that has been assigned to him from the Wunderkind, Orson Welles, working from the Mercury Theater. And then it flashes back to where Mankiewicz gets a lot of his inspiration from the story, chief for for the script, chiefly his, uh, relationships, his kind of up and down relationships with this vaunted inner circle of Hollywood elites, most notably, uh, uh, Louis B. Mayer, head of MGM, as well as, uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst, who of course is, you know, modeled, uh, you know, uh, Citizen Kane is modeled off of, um, William Randolph Hearst. Um... The movie is shot in black and white, and it makes no bones about um, being a movie purely for lovers of Citizen Kane. If you haven't seen Citizen Kane, um, you're probably not going to get a whole lot out of this movie because there are a lot of intertextual references in some of the shot selections, and I think um, Jack Fincher's screenplay tries to draw these parallels between Herman Mankiewicz and the Kane character himself as this kind of tortured individual. the movie does uh, an interesting job also of showing how much of the inspiration for the script and Kane actually came out of um, this ordeal of the 1934 uh, Cal- California gubernatorial race between Upton Sinclair, who was this very progressive left-wing, sort of rebel rouser, muckraker journalist turned uh, gubernatorial candidate and the more mainstream Republican candidate and how the the, the studios basically started to forge um, fake advertisements in order to suppress the voice of the people represented by Upton Sinclair. Um, I'm sad to report, I found this movie to be a mess. It was all over the place. Um, first of all, I, I had doubts going in because I feel like the debate over who's really the author of Citizen Kane is a very passe debate. It was, you know, even going back to 1970s scholarship by Pauline Kael um, shows that, you know, it's a much more complicated uh, story than, you know, and I don't think anyone thinks that it's entirely the product of Orson Welles. And I also think that there are better sources on this so- subject, particularly um, the Battle over Citizen Kane, the documentary, and the TV movie uh, RKO 281. What this movie does that differentiates itself from those other two is that I think what David Fincher would say is that it's not so much about the making of Citizen Kane and more about how Herman Mankiewicz was exiled from Hollywood, and it tries to paint this, you know, this picture of 1930s Hollywood as not as rosy as people would believe. I don't really think, though, anyone thinks that 1930s Hollywood was, was very glamorous, um, I think the movie is very confused. It's it, David Fincher is one of our great auteur directors, and I think what the movie is trying to say is that we shouldn't really believe in the auteur theory, um, and which is, again, sort of unique from Fincher's perspective because he's never really done anything but direct. Um, the movie ha- is, uh, it, it's, it thinks it's very witty. Uh, the scenes kind of go on and on. It's shot in this kind of black and white style, which, um, you know, again, it's just, it's it's, it's derivative. Um, and, you know, you could even kind of look at some of Fincher's earlier work, like The Social Network, which is sort of fundamentally, you know, derivative of the narrative structure of Citizen Kane in itself. Um, and this movie, I think, resembles a lot of The Social Network and the whole idea of Mank being someone with a lot of power, a lot of a elite uh sort of privilege just kind of wielding his revenge against people who have sabotaged him in personal relationships I think mank comes off as a jerk I don't really have a lot of sympathy for the character I don't know if we're necessarily supposed to have sympathy for him but I think we are because he's this person who stands up to these powerful people <coughs> who are trying to suppress uh, the populist vote for um you know Upton Sinclair in the 1934 election I think that whole strand of the movie is convoluted and I'm not really sure what what they're really what David Fincher's trying to say in that that, that strand of it um. I found this movie boring. I thought Gary Oldman's acting was over the top. Amanda Seyfried's getting some Oscar attention for this movie. I think she's probably the best part of it, but it's sort of an unremarkable role that we've seen in other movies. You know, if you're looking for a movie about 1930s sort of insider Hollywood gossip, head Hedda Hopper kind of stuff, check out The Aviator or The Cat's Meow, or even something more recent, more upbeat sort of about the studio system like *Like uh, Hail Caesar, which of course takes place in a different era, but is so much more funny and so much more accessible than this movie. Um, this movie thinks it's more intelligent than it is. It's a disappointment from Fincher. I give it two stars.
2: All right. Two stars from Zach. Todd, what do you think about
0: it? Uh, it's, I, I mean... I, I agree that it's it's mixed. I, I guess I'll just go into what uh, all the things about it. Like uh, I agree about the black and white. It seems off. It looks beautiful, but it just seems off. And then he has like these random like winking at the camera things, like these uh, fake cigarette burns, like which was awesome in Fight Club, but here it just it just seems so cutesy. Uh, something that I never expected Fincher would do. I, it's kind of weird. I think the beginning like hour is when the movie is really humming. It reminded me of Amadeus. Where he's just like spewing out, like uh, in a drunken stupor while he's immobilized, like these like ideas of somebody frantically jotting them down. I thought that those kind of scenes were really good. Then it becomes something else, which I think is less interesting. He, the, the character of Mank is just so snobby, and everything is portrayed from his perspective, so everybody else is seen as being annoyingly beneath him, like his brother, especially. Wells which is kind of uncalled for and then all the women uh, ever he just acts like he's so above everybody else and it really is kind of annoying but he does do a good job but I mean the movie had to be written for Kevin Spacey uh there's so many similarities between him and Frank Underwood that I thought I, I thought uh watching Spacey in that role would have been something amazing but I mean Oldman still is good and he's probably gonna get nominated Seafried uh, and Miss Seafried absolutely jumps off the screen she I, I think she looked like a young Madonna uh, she's she's really good in this movie. But the movie is very inside Hollywood, and that's hard to gauge how the Academy will actually look at it because movies like, you know, uh, Singing in the Rain, Hitchcock, What Just Happened, like, these are all basically completely ignored. But this movie is really, like, self-aggrandizing, which might actually increase its chances because it makes it feel, like, more snobby Academy kind of thing. And the movie also had, like, tonal issues. Like, it's really cutesy and quirky, randomly, and sporadically, like, you get, like, this really contentious argument about Upton Sinclair, and then the very next scene, like, it, it rolls into Marion Davies screaming at monkeys at a zoo. I, I, it, it really could never find it, it, the, the tone that I think it really wanted. the The movie is really most similar to Benjamin Button from Fincher, because it's really this immediately... Feeling like a classical kind of movie, uh, it's really romantic and a throwback, and obsessed with its own ideas. But I don't think Make is as interesting of a figure as he needs to be. I wanted more Orson Welles. I wanted more Kane. I wanted more of the like behind the scenes kind of stuff. Seeing Make and what what makes him tick is interesting, but it's not. But that that's a completely different movie, and that's not how the movie was built. Uh, it it tries to find this balance between being like romantic and funny and like noirish and being political and intellectual i think it's probably his least accomplished work since alien 3 which was his debut but i'd still be thrilled if he won best director it wasn't what i was expecting and i watched a good chunk of it again just to be sure and i i I do appreciate the movie but i don't like how it was like capped off with this like kind of bullshit like the last dance style like settling of old scores kind of thing it really seemed kind of amateurish but I mean, the movie does have a really good first hour, really similar to Benjamin Button in that way, and I'm giving it three stars. It's uh, it's kind of a disappointing three stars, but I, I I did still enjoy the movie nonetheless.
2: All right, I yeah, I'm kind of in a same similar spot as you are, Todd. I I'm I'm debating whether to give it two and a half or three. Um, right now I've got it at three. Um, I and I really want to rewatch it. Uh, but my, my biggest thing I, I, all, everything you guys are saying is, is right on I, I started the movie and I was like this black and white it looks cool the vibe of it looks cool the score by, um, by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross sounds awesome and it, it was so different than anything else they'd ever done and it fit the time and it made it this just awesome noirish feel um, and then some of the camera angles, the sound design they did to make it sound just, it just sounded old, but new and I, I loved it. And then after you get old and then, then you get to, you know, uh, Oldman's going to do his thing. Um, let's see here. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Tom Burke, who they have playing Orson Welles is a dead ringer and has the voice down down flat and it's like this this dude is awesome. And then once you get past like the first fifteen minutes and the 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 shine of the you know, the unique filming style starts to wear off and you start to dig into the story, it's like I it couldn't hold my attention. There there just wasn't enough there to, to keep me interested. And uh and I was I was having trouble keeping going and I was kinda bored with it. So uh so for for the technical achievement alone that's why i've got it at three stars right now and like i said i want to watch it again and i kind of had a similar feeling to what you did todd but i just didn't have the time to go back and watch it again uh any any more of it before we did did our review here but um yeah i'm given a very a very disappointed tepid three stars simply for the technical achievement of it but um yeah it's not necessarily a movie that uh that you you go into and are and and get some great Hollywood entertainment like like Zach like you were saying there's so many other movies about the the film industry and that uh, are much more entertaining and much more enlightening and and this I, I feel like I feel like it either needed to be directed by someone other than David Fincher or Fincher needed to he he was too close to it. Right, his dad wrote this wrote this script. He's been holding on to this script for over twenty years, trying to get this film made. He uh, he either needed to let it go and let a fresh voice tell it, or he needed to give the script to someone like like his buddy Aaron Sorkin and say, "I need you to bump this up. I f- I feel like like he was too close to the source material, and it was so much a passion project." that he let the overall product suffer so that he could make sure his father's message remained pure. I, I kind of feel like, so, I mean, he needed, he needed some help to, to bump this up and boost this up and make it a better movie. And he didn't do that.
0: So what I find interesting is that that's the exact kind of feeling I had watching Roma. I, I feel like it's a really similar kind of thing. And I, I was, I I gave a very similar review to Roma and I know you guys both loved it, but I mean, I feel like it's the same thing. It's, it's a director who this is their passion, and it's but it's not what we have come to know and love about that director. So it's like, why are you making this movie? That's the movie that he wants to make, but it's not the movie that we actually want him to make. So yeah, I don't know. I I, I think, but I think it could be treated very similarly. It could lead the Academy Awards and nominations, and probably only win maybe one or two, including Best Director, out of respect, sort of. But
2: Oh. Well. I'd say what the one difference there is Roma I feel is very easily accessible though, like anybody can watch Roma and connect with the characters in it. Um, you have to be like deep into Hollywood history and be a Citizen Kane expert to really connect well with this movie. I feel.
1: Yeah, I would also say that like Roma is topical. Like Roma is about div- I mean maybe not as explicit as say Parasite, but it's about you know class divisions and it's about um socioeconomic divides in society which is a pertinent topic i don't think this movie is very relevant i don't understand the need for it to get made which is why it's not surprising to hear that this script had been sitting on the shelf for so long and fincher has been trying to make this movie for 25 years i mean he originally wanted to make it with kevin spacey and jodie foster i mean that should say something and you know i think that in you know uh spacey was actually attached
0: I don't know if she was attached but i know well, no spacey like because oh. that was the first thing i thought watching the movie is like kevin spacey should have played this role like I, but i didn't know that he was actually considered that's <laughs> that's interesting I, I think a
1: drunk oliver reed should have played herman mankiewicz but that's my opinion i think that this movie would have been fun in like the the 90s or something when people you know still talked about citizen kane when people still talked about the auteur theory and people talked about you know canonical classical Hollywood cinema, I, I just don't feel like that's a real... That, that, that's a I mean, the people that, like Terry was just saying, if you are a, if you are a Citizen Kane classical Hollywood fanatic, you're going to find a lot of flaws in this movie, okay? This movie, actually, a movie that was sort of similar to it was um, Oliver Stone's W, in the sense that there were a lot of lines in this movie that are incorrectly attributed. Like, for example, there's a line that Louis V. Mayer says that uh samuel uh, Goldwyn actually said and there's another scene where louis b Mayer says everyone has to take a pay cut that didn't occur in the movie when it actually occurred and of course that's nitpicking stuff that you know critics have been pointing out about this movie and you don't notice it as you're watching it but i think that it, it speaks to a larger problem which is that as 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 finite and as polished and as perfectionist as david fincher is in terms of the look of this movie it doesn't. It, it's not reflected in the other aspects of this movie, like this, the the character development, the emotional connection, and the sort of again political or social relevance for today is just sort of missing in this movie. And that's been a criticism of other Fincher movies too. But like this time, I'm just not. I'm not sure what the point is, and I'm especially baffled by the last scene of this movie, which I think seems to say. That, um, you know, uh, this was all about an Oscar win and, you know, this footage kind of at the end that he's blending in with the... I mean, I I feel like that's some sort of message about the fabricated political messages in the 1934 California governor's campaign that I think this movie tries to make a big piece. Like, I feel like that's going to be the big Oscar campaigning moment is that, you know... Mankiewicz was someone who championed the uh, the, the, the little people, the um, you know the Bernie Sanders supporters of the of the '30s, and he was he was a socialist and he wanted revolution. And again, that's just such a it's 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 simultaneously heavy handed and underdeveloped in this movie. And it just seemed uh, it seemed irrelevant. It seemed like a digression rather than an actual like rationalization about the character's motivations.
2: If this screenplay gets nominated, which it could. I, I I see it. I see a potential that it could get nominated. Um, if it gets nominated, does a posthumous Oscar seventeen years after someone has died? Is that like the the longest like break from death to Oscar nomination like ever?
0: Well, August Wilson for Fences, right? That
2: was. Oh, did what? Well, did he actually get the the nomination for Fences? I forget.
0: I, I think or was so. it just
2: adapted from August Wilson's work?
0: I don't think anyone else was was credited in that screenplay. I guess. Okay.
2: Well, then August Wilson probably would.
0: Who has another there. movie this year, right? Isn't...
2: Yeah, yeah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but that one I know has been adapted. It's not. It's not a pure, a pure uh, just retelling of his play. Okay. Anyways, uh, so we're talking about Fincher here, and we're kind of talking about how this fits into his career. Let's talk about that a little more, as we're going to now build a Mount Rushmore David Fincher films. Um, And I think, from hearing what we just said, I think it's pretty safe to say, Mank is not on it.
0: (laughs) August Wilson died in 2005, so you're still right then.
2: Potentially, (laughs) yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So, uh, anyways, so we're, so let's, let's build our, our David Fincher, Mount Rushmore here. Um, before we start, do we have a non-negotiable? I feel like we could, I mean, do we want to say social, social network is our non-negotiable agreed upon consensus?
1: Yeah, because then otherwise it would be Todd's pick and Todd, Todd should get, Todd should have more of a challenge with this.
2: Yes, I agree. I agree. Okay.
1: All right. and we so, and we all love the social network, so I think that's yeah. that's fair. Yeah, even though I, you just called it, it derivative, you bastard! <laughs> you stole my idea. <laughs> if you'd invented the Facebook, you'd have invented it. That's what you should have said. Uh,
2: all right. Um, so, Todd, I'm going to you first. Then, uh, social network is up. What's your what's your uh, what's your submission?
0: So, uh, what are the parameters here? We're just doing films.
2: I would say directed films.
0: So House of Cards does not count. Um, Either, no. way, either way, I'll probably no. go with uh, Fight Club. Because okay. Fight Club is just below Social Network on my top 100 list. I, I still think it, it holds up. I still think it's uh, an amazing, groundbreaking piece of cinema. And it will never get old. And it still has the cult status that it needs to. It is, And it is what made Fincher such a rock star... Like, I remember watching the Guys' Choice Awards, and Fincher was up there with uh, with uh, Norton and Pitt accepting the Generational Award or something. And it was like, these guys are still living off of Fight Club fame. Regardless of how big you get, you're still the guy in Fight Club, and Fincher is never going to really top that in terms of popular appeal and... Fight Club is, yeah, it's it's not as absolute masterpiece, but it's the thing that he probably most had contributed to being the absolute masterpiece that it is.
2: It it was it was from what I, I haven't read it, but it, from what I've heard, it was an impossible book to adapt, that they found a way to adapt, and for, and Fincher that that early part of his career was so defined by, those mind bending thrillers, and and I yeah. And Fight Club is it was like the quintessential one. So, good pick, good pick.
1: Thanks. All right, Zach, you're next. I would not call myself a David Fincher fan. Um, I don't love Fight Club. I don't love um, some of his other well-known movies. Um, I think he's a, he's really funny to listen to in interviews. Um, if you ever watched that documentary about the the, cre- the transition from film to digital, side-by-side, uh, side, narrated by Keanu Reeves, he's the MVP of that movie. He's, like, fantastic to listen to, and he swears a lot, which is great. He also did a really funny Q&A with Mark Harris um, that just got published a couple weeks ago online that's, that's just really awesome. He seems like a really nice guy. I just don't love his movies for whatever reason. I like his music videos. That was going to be my gimmick pick, like Todd picking uh, House of Cards. But if we're sticking to his movies, for me, it's no question. It is seven. The first movie that really launched his pop uh, his popularity. Um, I haven't seen Seven in a while, but I do really like Seven. Um, it again takes uh, what is a I think one people one p- reason that people liked it so much is that it took a very like worn genre that had been done a million times over and made it something fresh and creative, and not so much out of you know um, shock value or gore, even though there is a lot in that movie, but more about the kind of relationship, the, the, the interesting relationship between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in that movie that's sometimes funny, sometimes a little bit competitive, um, two great performances from two great actors, um, and, uh, you know, just an unpredictable movie that I think holds up pretty well, and again, established Fincher as someone that had a distinctive voice and unique visual style. All right. So Terry gets the hard pick of choosing the one that isn't
0: one of his three establishment pieces.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a Oh gosh. Um Well, I kind of want to go with something a little different too because I I mean, you have that like I said, that early career you had 7, you had The Game, which I think is is underrated Agreed. simply because it came between 7 and Fight Club. Um, and he had Fight Club. You had Panic Room, which was probably the le- the least of the that early you know psychological thriller segment. And then he hit this other point in his career where he he did some really interesting stuff um, that is really good. I hmm.
0: What I find but, most see, interesting lot of about Fincher to... is that like he has that every movie seems like a Fincher movie, and yet he like Zach was saying earlier, he's not the writer at any point. But every movie still feels like him, and which I feel like he is drawing comparisons to himself and Orson Welles in that way. Like he was, he was making himself Orson Welles in that movie, being like, "I didn't write this movie, but it's going to become my movie." I don't know. I I, I don't know that any, any other director that's like that that never has gotten into writing at any point, but it still has that distinct of an auteur vision. Other than maybe yeah. Hitchcock, I don't know.
2: That's a good point. I I kind of want to go with Gone Girl. But Gone Girl, what you could say, was just his return to what everybody loved about early Fincher, and I kind of want to do something different. I'm gonna go Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, I I love that movie. Um, and again, we're going Brad Pitt here. Uh, I guess we have three Brad Pitt movies on the Mount Rushmore of, <laughs> of David Fincher. Um, but uh, it it is it's such a it's such a beautiful and uh, in a lot of ways subtle movie compared to his other films. Um, and, and it was in this very different time in, in his career, uh, that was definitely the pinnacle of that time was, was social network, but then he had Benjamin Button the year before that he had Zodiac, which again is a very underrated venture film. Um, but, uh, you, you had very seamless use of some technology and the aging and de-aging stuff that you had going on there. Um, and, and it's just a beautiful story and, uh, and, um, and not, it was like the first time you watched some, you watch a Fincher film like that, was definitely a Fincher film, yet it did not feel like a stereotypical Fincher film, and I kind of love that about it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm gonna go Curious Case of Benjamin Button, with runners up of Gone Girl and Zodiac.
0: No mention of Dragon Tattoo, but
2: and then well yeah, and then there's Dragon Tattoo as well, but I mean. I think there some people would argue is it even the best version of that story of that I don't think anybody that. argues that.
0: But yeah, I mean, it's I mean it clearly is. Like the the originals aren't that great, but his his version was was awesome. And that's the first time that he was actually trying to do something that was could be franchised in some way. That he was at a different point in his career at that point and I think he abandoned those movies for a reason. But I, I don't know I, I would have been a, yeah any other any other of his movies would have been fine with me other than Alien Three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want to go with Zodiac because it's it's just a different such a different vibe and and yet still in that thriller mode, but yeah no Benjamin Button is the biggest step out and then he turned that step out into Social Network just a couple years later so, we'll go with that kind of like how his, Seven he turned into Fight Club and going down that lane all right so we've got we've got social network we've got fight club we've got seven and we've got the curious case of benjamin button it's good when you can come up with like eight or nine films that of a on a guy's filmography that deserve to be on the uh the mount rushmore
0: and he's only got like 10 total
2: <laughs> yeah all right so we've got that out of the way and we've got one more review for you because like i said there is so much stuff coming out that we had to we had to review one more thing and uh, and I'm gonna start out this one because I want to be the first one to talk about the the best movie we saw this week, and that's Sound of Metal. You sound great.
1: Yeah,
0: right.
2: What you telling me, you weren't feeling it. You were in it. Hey, we, don't to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film.
1: Your hearing is
0: deteriorating rapidly.
2: We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me.
1: You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm I'm deaf. I'm deaf! found a place
0: i think it's important that you stay here with us right now reuben we're looking for a solution to to this not this
2: i need you to wait for me okay you're in for me you my part you're in for me okay you gotta wait for me
0: keep moving it can be a damn cruel place but those moments of stillness
2: directed by Darius Martyr. Uh, this is starring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cooke. Riz Ahmed plays a heavy metal drummer uh, and um, gives just a complete powerhouse performance. Um, he's this heavy metal drummer who one day, um, his, his hearing just goes away and he, lo- he, he loses his hearing. And as a musician, as a drummer, um, that, I mean, that's everything. That's his life. That's his livelihood uh olivia cook plays his girlfriend and the lead singer of their band um and they as both of them as former addicts or as addicts uh recovering addicts are trying to work through this as they had kind of saved themselves and he found his passion through music to kind of take him away from that he's now got to figure out what to do now that his passion has been removed because he can't hear And uh, he ends up in this facility learning to be deaf and learning what that's all about. And um, like I said, this movie is worth seeing for Riz Ahmed. I mean, he... I want to see him win Best Actor. This was an absolutely outstanding performance. Just just the the way he plays this character is just perfect. Like, I I feel... I, I feel like I'm seeing him for as... He disappears, completely disappears. Um, but the other, the other MVP of this movie is the, is the sound design and being able to, I think this is like the first podcast I've ever mentioned sound design and I'm mentioning it twice in the same podcast. Um, the way they, they, when he loses his hearing, how they take you into his head and you hear um, what he hears or what he doesn't hear is so Powerful in how in how you you get that feeling of this is what this is what his life is like and this is what he hears and this is what uh, he doesn't hear and what he has to put up with every day um and uh and it's his fight to try and find a way to to get better if there is a better while he's also dealing with people who are accepting of the fact that this is a way of life is being deaf um it is a a jaw-dropping beautiful movie it is one of the best films i've seen all year four stars easy uh i loved it loved every bit of it uh it, it was just it was awesome it was awesome i want to see it win as much stuff as possible i loved it okay zach where are you at with this one
1: Yeah, you know, I actually kind of hated this movie. No, I'm just kidding. This is an amazing movie. I (laughs) echo everything that Terry says. Four stars. Phenomenal movie. This, this is why we go to the movies, okay? I saw this on the same day as Mank, and Mank was such a disappointment because I had been looking so forward to that movie for such a long time, and I love old Hollywood. And so, you know, I just was, like, really upset for a little while that this is what I waited, you know, a couple years for. Then I had to watch this movie, Sound of Metal, that I'd never heard of before. First five minutes of the movie, you know, this guys, like, playing drums. It's loud music. I'm like, I'm not into this. This is not really my vibe. But this is a phenomenal movie, okay? This movie is painful to watch because you, you like what terry was saying the sound design envelops you into the world into the internal world of this character i guess you could draw some comparisons maybe to the diving bell and the butterfly like julian schnabel kind of stuff it's a really almost tactile experience um which, watching which is ironic because
2: matthew almerick is in it
1: yeah that's true that's true um But, you know, um, the movie kind of, it does something that I love in movies, which is it shows how a character's worst moments or lowest points can actually be their greatest moments of grace. Um, and uh, I, I love how the character, you know, deals with the, with this dilemma and this kind of internal tor- torture that he kind of thrusts upon himself. I also love how this movie, in in some sort of maybe roundabout ways, is about addiction because it's not overtly mentioned in the movie. But you know, a traumatic like event like this is a triggering event for for an addict, um, someone who's been clean for years, like he says in the movie. And that's always sort of on the precipice. And a weaker director, a lesser screenplay would have had the obligatory. Um, you know, uh, falling off the wagon scene. And this movie just doesn't indulge like that. Um, I love how the movie is shot uh, This movie looks real Mank looked fake Every second of the frame It looked like it was just David Fincher's Indulgence This is a movie that it feels like it's real people um, You look at that the, the Rehabilitation Center slash Deaf School Slash Deaf House uh, the, Those people look real That's That environment feels real um, Reza Med absolutely deserves an Oscar nomination But so does Paul Race, Racey As Joe, the guy who's in charge of the the, de- uh, the, the, mm, the, yeah. the uh, housing for the deaf. Um, he's amazing in this movie. He kind of reminded me of Ben Mendelsohn in *The Place Beyond the Pines*. And of course, you know *The P- Place Beyond the Pines* deserves to get mentioned in this movie because it is co-written by the director of *The Place Beyond the Pines*, uh, 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 Derek Cianfrance. And you know, visually, there's there's some parallels to it. Um, I loved every second of this movie. This was a totally uplifting, amazing movie that. Um, again kind of speaks to like why we go to movies in the first place it's to it's to put yourself in someone else's skin to experience the the tragedy the tumult um, the uh, uh, obstacles that they have to overcome I think the way this movie handles it particularly in the last 10 minutes is so unpredictable and the last image is just magnificent and and it doesn't do anything facile it doesn't it doesn't go the easy route Uh, I thought it might be going the easy route in its final part but it Reveals itself to be much more about just hearing loss and more about you know navigating uh, complex uh, relationships with people. And um, I cannot, yeah, I, I echo everything that Terry said. Four stars, is one of the year's best movies. Don't let right us down, done. Todd.
2: Don't let us down.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're Thrice approved. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh uh,
1: yeah. It's this been how this is how kind of long since
0: movie... we approved? Wow. It's been a while. Yeah. And this is the kind of movie I was waiting for in 2020. Like, and holy hell, the sound design, like Terry was saying. I I watched this movie called Barbarian Sound Studio at one point in 2013, and not since then have I been, like, ecstatic about that specific part of a movie. But, like, I I cannot imagine how anything else could win an Oscar over this for... Especially since it's one category now. It could win both if there still were both, but... This is winning the Sound category. I I think it's really similar to The Wrestler in a lot of ways, and uh, uh, really similar to The Writer. Like, this, like, spiritual movie about... Who you truly are after something important has been taken from you and, like, that defines your identity. Um, I also think there's some crazy heart in there with the rehabilitation stuff. Darius Martyr took over the directing chair from Derek C. in France, who had been attached for quite a while. And it almost seems like this was Martyr's baby from the beginning. Because it looks like his brother, I think, was the other screenwriter on the movie and wrote a song for the movie. Uh, it does it does feel like The Place Behind the Pines at times as well. Like, Darius Marder is uh, a director to watch. He's an editor, and he became a director for this movie. Riz Ahmed, like like you guys said, he's fantastic. It's the best performance he's ever given. Olivia freaking Cook is amazing in this movie, too. Yes. she um, She's come so far since Bates Motel, and she's the emotional heart of the movie. And I actually think their music, Black Gammon, is the name of the band. It's like this really legit... Like acidy, heavy, gothic metalcore band, and I actually would listen to that music. They were <laughs> like, she was legit as a lead singer. Uh, I don't know. We need I, that
2: album. We need that album.
0: We do, and I And there's only there's like nothing listed for the soundtrack of the movie. I, I want to know what these songs are called so I could have them in my personal nominations for best Ritual song, and so I could download them. Uh, but the movie really digs into like the psychological issues of like the hearing impaired. Like the fears they have, the uncertainty, the the questioning of whether it's actually like an Ill, like a like a, a a illness or not or whatever. That the the rehab doesn't exactly go as you would expect either, which I thought was interesting. It's like this real portrait of like pain and suffering and like struggles of an underrepresented group, which I know the academy is gonna love with their new rules. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh Paul Racy, uh, uh, yeah, you guys the. Uh, uh, said it too. He's got the most heartbreaking scene of the movie, and I think he yes, should be a winning Best yeah, Supporting does. Actor. And I don't know where the Oscar buzz is. I've not seen his name on a single like uh, Oscar rankings list. Like, it's ridiculous. If he was a name actor, if this was, I don't. I can't even imagine who who I would put in. Ben Mendelsohn, role. like yeah, ben, ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, I mean that, that could easily be it. Like he would be cruising through award season. I have it a very very high three and a half stars. It's one of the absolute best movies of the year. I. I I mean I probably could have put it at four stars, but I wanna watch it one more time. Which is a good thing. I still I feel like it still has a higher ceiling than I I gave it already.
2: Yeah, I, I would watch this again, like, in a heartbeat, for sure. Yeah. Uh Cool. Awesome. We we've got we've got a thrice approved movie, not only thrice approved, but it might even be thrice four starred. I know Adam thought the same way. Like I said, his uh, his review of this is up now on the on the podcast. Check that out as well.
1: So I have a question for you guys. So we in this episode we're reviewing *Mank* and *Sound of Metal*, which I think it's clear there's a difference between both movies. We we all agree on that. Do you guys feel like this is too, this is like the Robert Frost poem, you know, two two paths I came across. This is like two separate directions Netflix or streaming services can go with their original content, right? On the one hand, you have these passion projects by A-list directors and they maybe can't get bankrolled by traditional, you know, studio um, distribution methods, right? Because they're just, you know, they're not really audience pleasing or they're just too long or, you know, whatever. And then the other pathway are these personal, really gritty films that look like they're shot in 16 millimeter that also really don't maybe have a commercial audience, but are so much more like, you know, uh, beautifully made and just, um, you know, important to seek out. Like, I feel like we're we're at at a crossing point where streaming services like Netflix need to make the decision. Am I going to be more about movies, passion projects like Mank, or am I going to be more about really indie, cool art movies like uh, Sound of Metal?
2: That's a really good point. And I think it is it's the story of two different streaming services too. Where where Netflix has has had that focus. I mean, you look at the last three years. Netflix had Roma, then Netflix had Irishman, and then now Netflix has Mank. It's these these A-list directors and their passion projects and giving them the budget they need to make their films. And then you look at you look at Amazon, and Amazon has Sound of Metal. Amazon had Manchester by the Sea. Amazon had the big sick. Amazon has, has these more smaller movies, like you said, that may not have that mainstream audience, but they are movies that need to be seen. And they're giving them an audience, and they're giving them a voice by allowing you to sit on your couch and watch them.
0: But at the same um, time, Amazon allows for the theatrical window to still elapse before they put it on their service. Like, Netflix has remained uh, strict on, like, we, we need it in on our service, the uh, the day it's in theaters, and so that, that also Netflix. just changes... Netflix has that. It's, yeah, Netflix. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a change in it's a difference in philosophy in how in how they're treating the movies, and uh, yeah, maybe that is reflected in the uh, in what actually ends up on those services and not. But
2: I don't well, know. And,
0: and yeah,
2: and after twenty twenty, that might not even be an argument anymore. I mean, after. The news this week of Warner Brothers and and how their all their entire 2021 slate is going to be released on HBO Max the same day it's released in theaters, I mean this this is where we're heading, potentially or 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 is or that might just be a blip. I mean who knows? So well, it um, all depends
0: on what the Oscars think too, probably because a lot of those movies could be up for Oscars and the Oscars hasn't changed their rules outside of this year. So if I, if say, I was Dune was
2: wondering the same thing,
0: yeah, Dune, Dune could be released. Uh, in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time, but it might not be eligible for the Oscars, which could change how all the other studios treat their movies that are in a similar vein.
2: All right. Well, thrice approved on Sound of Metal. If you have Amazon Prime, go watch Sound of Metal tonight. Do it now. It's worth the watch for Unless sure. you
0: could go see in the theater, then do that, because I'd be jealous. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you yeah. Know,
1: I mean, did, that's did it even get
0: a re- theatrical release? Somewhere, probably
1: that's another thing I was thinking like when I was watching Mank, I was like, okay, this shit sucks, but you know what? I bet it would be better if it was in a theater. I never at all asked that question as I was watching the sound of metal, in spite of the fact that I'm sure it would be an even more impactful experience in a theater, but it was so powerful that it even transcended that sort of barrier.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I love that movie. It was so good. So good. Okay. So that's Mank. That's sound of metal let's move on power rankings time
0: you
1: can't top that
2: yeah that's the movie
0: about the horse
1: i'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here
2: that's because i haven't seen it power rankings
0: not including fargo
2: can't choose fargo ever again todd you won uh last time we did power rankings uh so you got to pick our topic what are we doing
0: uh, we are doing another decade list because the year is almost over and we're running out of times to do this. And I chose the best war movies of the 2020 or 2010s, and that is because I don't feel like that list has really been made. I, I don't really th- think that those kind of movies are singled out a whole lot, and I feel like there's a lot. There are all, like I, I came across almost like a hundred movies that are, are probably war movies that I've saw in the in the last uh, ten years that that would be considered and i I think it'll be interesting because it's yeah It's and we're going to talk about a lot of movies we haven't talked about on this podcast before which I, i think is exciting as well because a lot of the time we're coming back to the same ones or we're trying to get cute with our list uh but i don't think it's gonna it's gonna be like that this time
2: all right yeah and so your your qualification you said was if it if in the if on imdb in its its uh, like genre listings, if it said war, it counted as a war movie.
0: That's correct. Yeah, so you could have a movie like Wonder Woman. I believe has war as one of the as one of the genres that would count.
2: Okay. Okay. So it,
0: and, there's a, it makes I, it very broad. You just have to pay attention. And but I mean, a lot of the movies we're mentioning are probably going to be kind of obvious.
2: Well, and th- and this kind of threw me off too because I had to at the top of the if you look on IMDb at least on if you look on at it on a computer it has lists like two or three genres at the top, but you can scroll down and sometimes it lists like five, six, seven genres yeah. that a film is a is in. So I had to I had to go uh, go search for that. Okay, well Todd, this is your list. You get a start. What's your number five?
0: So my number five is a movie from twenty seventeen. It is listed as a biography drama history war movie. It is First They Killed My Father, A Daughter of Cambodia Remembers. And it is the story of Luang Ung, who is a Cambodian human rights activist who adapted her memoir with Angelina Jolie, who directed the movie as well, and is recounting her experiences as a child in 1970s uh, Cambodia and the genocide. I really put this on here because I was considering two different Angelina Jolie war movies, the other one being Unbroken, and the movie was nominated at the Golden Globes for Best Foreign Film, but I don't think Jolie's ever going to get credit for being the kind of observant, accomplished director that she is. Uh, The movie's kind of a tough watch because um, it's really uncomfortable subject matter, but um, it's a pretty universal story in its messages and in its themes. And it's one of the great unheralded war movies of the last 10 years. I'm talking about movies that don't really get mentioned a whole lot. I feel like a lot in, in the this list coming up. And Angelina Jolie's movie is, uh, is definitely one of the great ones.
2: I've not seen that one. But I like it. I like it. Alright. Uh, Zach, you're next. Number five.
1: Okay, uh, number five on my list is... Uh, I, I tried to go your direction, Todd, but I found that they're just. I had to go with if I, if I was being true to myself, I had to go with movies that were also mainstream in some way. So I went with my number five pick, being one of the more mainstream films, which was Jojo Rabbit, the winner of Best Adapted Screenplay last year at mm-hmm. the Oscars. Taika Waititi. I would imagine this might make an appearance on Terry's list too. Um, so uh, you know, set in World War II. But I think does some kind of cool stuff with making it a comedy. You get the imaginary friend Hitler played by Taika Waititi, and then you get the sort of you know Anne Frank, um, boy in the striped pajamas sort of subplot with Thompson McKenzie playing this Jewish girl who uh, Jojo's Rabbit hides in the attic. Um, you know, is it a great movie? You know, maybe the jury's still out on that one. Um, It it is maybe a little derivative, maybe it's a little too cutesy at times, but I think it has a powerful message, and I think it uses a pretty um, interesting narrative narrative choices to convey a really relevant message and timely message about um, ideology and being sort of, um, you know, overwhelmed by propaganda and trying to, you know, be better than that. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's it's a movie that uh, especially, like, teenagers should probably watch, and I think they get a kick out of. So, uh, kind of unique, quirky take on on a war genre, which is something that I, I tried to prioritize also on my list.
2: So, it actually didn't make my list. When I was going through, I looked at Jojo Rabbit, and it, it I know it, it is a war... You could say it's a war movie, but it didn't feel... Like enough of a war movie for me to necessarily consider it a war movie, and uh, and so I I left it off. Also, I I have two other twenty nineteen movies in my top five, and so I wanted, I, I didn't want to overdo overdo last year, so I, I left Which it off. Which you
0: have done in the past, like our last power rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I had well, no, I kind of did the same thing. I tried to avoid. Yeah, I I left something off last time too because I didn't want to have too much. 2019. Anyways, uh, so I made a couple extra rules for myself on this list. Um, I uh, I tried to do two other things, and as well as in in coming up with my list of best war movies, I tried to do um, different types of movies, kind of looking at different aspects of war, uh, and also I tried to do only one movie per war. Uh, so that that was kind of what I was a couple things I was going going for. So um, there are a couple movies that are in my honorable mentions that definitely would have been on my list, but I wanted to come up with just one movie per war and then also thinking about what is what would be like the, the feel and the vibe of the movie as well.
0: That's a good rule.
2: Yeah. So uh, my number five is going back to 2015. It is the original straight-to-streaming movie, the original Netflix original, and that is Beasts of No Nation. Uh, this is, uh, the story of, um, of an unnamed African country involved in a civil war and, uh, the story of how they're recruiting, uh, boy soldiers. Uh, the star of the movie is Abraham Attah, who I really haven't heard of in the last five years at all since he made this movie, but he was amazing in it. Um, also you had Idris Elba in this playing the, uh, the, the one who's training these boy soldiers. Who, um, in all accounts, was the favorite for the for the best supporting actor Oscar in 2015 until the Oscars decided that they didn't want to award Netflix yet. Um, uh, he, I mean, he won so many things leading up to it. I know he won SAG right after he was snubbed at the Oscars, but um, it's just an amazing movie written and directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga as well. The guy who uh, is uh, directing the new uh, the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Which is eventually going to get seen, I think, um, and uh, also was the the brainchild behind True Detective. Uh, just just an amazing movie, um, that and a heartbreaking movie as you see these these kids get dragged into this conflict uh, just so, to help uh, help this uh, civil war have have more soldiers. So, uh, Beasts of No Nation. It's a it's a really it's a really good movie, and it's still on Netflix. You can find this on Netflix really easily if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, and you like uh, you like some realistic war movies? *Be some Nation* is a great one.
0: It's a good choice.
2: All right, Todd, number four.
0: My number four comes from twenty fifteen. Uh, it is a drama thriller war, according to IMDb. It is called *Good Kill*. It is a the Andrew Nichol movie about a drone pilot that's played by Ethan Hawke. He starts to question his mission and whether or not uh his role in the war is actually helping anything and he questions the morality of what he's actually doing. There were actually two drone movies that came out at that time. One was uh the other one was Eye in the Sky with Ellen mirren This one's definitely the better of the two. Uh it starts out as an action movie sort of, but it digs a lot deeper into like kind of the interesting character study of ethan Hawke's character i think ethan hawk and andrew nickel work really well together and this is um, one of the best things that they've done together and i found myself reflecting on it a lot uh, uh, at times which is, is saying something because i've only seen it once and it was about a half a dozen years ago but uh, yeah i a uh, good kill is a really good movie we've never talked about it i don't think we probably will talk about it again but uh i, I feel like i need to mention it here
2: All right, yeah, I I have not heard of that or or seen it, so.
1: Me neither. All right,
2: Zach, number four.
1: Okay, number four is also a movie I know, I I believe both of you are, are pretty fond of. Um, I don't remember it that well, so you know, feel free to interject if I'm not doing an adequate job of describing it, and that is David Ayer's Fury from 2014. Um, I remember seeing it in a theater and really, really liking it. I'm not expecting to like it nearly as much as I did. It's about um, a tank commander played by Brad Pitt. His name in the movie is War Daddy, and it takes place in 1945 in the waning days of World War II. And um, again, I I don't exactly remember everything that happens in the movie in terms of the story. I remember uh, that uh, this was one of Shia LaBeouf's relatively early sort of serious roles. Michael Pena is also in it. Also established David Iyer after End of Watch as being a really considerable director. Um, it doesn't do that whole 1940s John Ford thing, like the poster maybe implies. It doesn't give each of them one, you know, their fun little personality quirks, and they don't have a lot of banter. It's actually a pretty serious movie. Um, I do remember a pretty exquisite scene though, when I think they encounter a young woman in this kind of village that's been ransacked by bombs. Um, and uh, again, just a, you know, a, a, a really cool war movie that maybe has a traditional sort of premise, but is elevated by really solid directing and acting. And and the fact that it takes itself seriously and doesn't do the cheesy war cliche sort of stuff.
0: I like
2: that. I was, actually, I was actually super disappointed by Fury. I gave it two stars. Oh, uh, wow. I don't really remember much about it, but I just remember it was kind of boring and I didn't like it.
1: Well, that's disappointing. I, I really, I remember really liking it. And in fact, it makes me want to rewatch it.
2: Maybe I should rewatch it, but yeah, I just remember it was like, ugh, no, I didn't, no, didn't, there wasn't much I liked about that one. So there you go. There you go. Okay. Uh, Well, some of you might have that feeling about my number four. So my number four um, is my World War II submission. Uh, It is uh, probably not the best World War II movie of the last decade, but it definitely was the best movie that looked at war in a different way. And that is kind of looking at the behind the scenes of the war, and um, and some of the work that was done, um, not on the battlefield to help win the war. And that is uh, from 2014, The Imitation Game, uh, the story of uh, the story of Alan Turing and his uh, and breaking the code of the Nazis. Uh, so you got Benedict Cumberbatch and you got Keira Knightley, Matthew Good, uh, Roy Kinnear. You got a great cast there, but um, uh, it it really all comes down to to Benedict Cumberbatch and his uh, his ability to play this this uh, pompous stuck up Brit who is a genius, and he is able to to really make one of like basically the first computer that's able to decode and decipher the Enigma machine of the of the Nazis so that they could come up with uh, so they could find what they needed to, um, the 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 best scene. By far the best scene in the movie is when they first crack the code, they first figure it out, and there's an attack that's about to happen on, on, a, on a destroyer ship, and they decide they can't say it. They can't release it because they have to try and find a way, now that they have the code, to affect the war in a way without letting the Germans know they have the code and uh and one of the the code breakers that was in the room had a brother on that ship that up, ends up getting killed and he knew that and he could stop it but the greater good the great the 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 you know the cause was more important brilliant scene brilliant scene but um imitation game i i love that movie i know some have said maybe it hasn't necessarily aged that well uh, i haven't watched it in a while but and I'm, i want willing to go back and watch it again, but I just remember loving it when it first came out, so that's my number four.
1: So the way you feel about Fury is exactly how I feel about the Imitation game. That's well, why I had a feeling. <laughs> not just dull, but, like, really, really Oscar-baity, and I do, I specifically, do remember the scene that you're talking about with, you know, the guy talking about, oh, my brother's on that ship, Think you're slapping my head, thinking, like, this is so stupid, and, like, convoluted, and un- unreal. Um... I I yeah I was mystified that that movie got as much Oscar nominations as it did, and I think we can all agree that Whiplash should have won or adapted screenplay that year.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, Morton Tilden went on from that and then then did Passengers, which uh, yeah. I I don't know. I I, I can kind of consider that an awesomely bad movie. I it was it was not good, but I would watch that again in a second just because it was kind of entertaining in its. Badness. I don't know and we haven't heard from him since I don't think I, I, I don't know the last I I don't know the last thing Martin Tilden did so uh, who knows okay Todd number three
0: my number three I believe I mentioned it on our movie soldiers list it is uh, the 2015 movie 71. Uh, it is billed as an action crime drama thriller war movie it, is, it was right at the time of the breakout of Jack O'Connell He had this and he had Starred Up Which I think is one of the best movies of 2014 And he also was the Star of Unbroken um, It's this brutal story about a young officer in the British Army Who uh, gets lost in Belfast during a riot And so he doesn't, and he doesn't really know who anyone is Or where his unit is and he's trying to survive it's one of these that is the reason why i made this our our list topic because there there's so many movies like this that are just these like great war movies because war movies are so prevalent but then shit like cacksaw ridge gets the best picture nomination and but, but like this like i think jack o'connell was good enough to win an oscar for this movie but and it it's intense and it packs a punch and he's amazing and nobody sees it it's a uh, I'm frustrated how that works. It's a great movie. 71, I, I would recommend to anybody.
2: I've not seen 71.
0: Me neither. That's three for three. <laughs> not seen <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've heard good things. Heard good things. haven't seen it.
1: All right, Zach, number three. All right, number three on my list is uh, from 2014, Um, This is where it gets a little controversial. I'm not sure if IMDb qualifies this as a war movie. There's not, like, battle or action scenes in it necessarily, but it is very much about World War II, and that movie is Phoenix, directed by Christian Petzold, and it is a movie that actually takes place in the immediate aftermath of World War II, but I'm calling it a war movie because it's all about kind of the tattered memories um, that this character has. Um, She's a disfigured woman uh, by the name of Nellie, who is a Jewish woman who survives um, Auschwitz. And she returns to Berlin, I believe, um, to find her ex-husband who was responsible for her capture. And what's sort of interesting about the movie is that uh, she's disfigured, so her husband doesn't necessarily recognize her exactly, but he thinks that she kind of resembles his ex-wife when the reality is that she is his wife, his deceased wife, I should say. It's sort of a convoluted story, but once you kind of get the idea of it, um, it's very much, I I would consider it a war movie because it's all about sort of the the survivors and victimhood um, in the aftermath of war, particularly the Holocaust, um, particularly, you know, Jewish people that survived uh, the camps in Auschwitz. And what do you do with your life after that? Do you return back to um, your sort of domestic life that existed? You can never really do that. I think the movie is complex and fascinating, has a great performance by Nina Hess, or Haas, excuse me, who's, I believe, been in a couple of Christian Petzl's films. Petzl is, an, is you know, he also directed Barbara and Transit. He's one of the, I think, um, big sort of finds of the 2010s in terms of directors, and uh, I thought Phoenix was a beautifully complex movie um with a you know i haven't seen in a while i will always though remember the final reveal of that movie which i I don't don't want to spoil but i think it's one of the great sort of final scenes um in the movie of any movie of this decade
0: phoenix is a good one yeah it doesn't it doesn't have it listed i would say i'll allow it but it's already been allowed so you know (laughs) i allowed it (laughs)
2: all right uh, I've not seen Phoenix. I think a good the only, one. Yeah, the o- the only one that's been uh, that's the first one on your list that has a, that I haven't seen. By the way, okay. Um, so before I get to my number three, Morton Tildum. First off, I think he might be the uh, the greatest Norwegian director ever because I, he's the only Norwegian director potentially ever. I don't know. I, I don't know any other what about Norwegian the guy that, that did Oslo
1: August thirty first. That guy's really good. I don't know. Anyways, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was mentioning.
2: I was mentioning what have you what has he been doing since uh, since Passengers, actually quite a bit. Walking True. He direct, Sorry, he directed on. the yeah, yeah yeah he directed the <laughs> pilot of uh, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime with uh, with John Krasinski, and he is the showrunner of Defending Jacob, the uh, Apple TV Plus show with uh, with Chris Evans. So, actually, he's been up to quite a bit. Which kind of surprises me. So, just not anyways. things
0: you would expect an Oscar-nominated director to uh, to be doing it right after his nomination.
2: <laughs> well, he was given the big, huge budget with the big cast, the big Hollywood cast in uh, *Passengers*, and kind of blew it. So now he's going to TV a little more. Anyways, all right. My number three is uh, is my submission for. Uh, I'm, I mean, you could say, um, well, Middle East war on terror. Zero Dark Thirty is my number three. Uh, back Going back to 2012 on this one. Um, the, and it's all about uh, Jessica Chastain, who uh, is like this lead in the um, in the hunt for Osama Bin Laden and trying to hunt him down and find him. Uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bull. In a, an incredibly intense film. And a film that is really interesting because halfway through production... They actually found and killed Bin Laden, and they had to adjust the ending of the movie because now the movie had an ending, and uh, and they made it amazing. And it was it was a great movie, um, kind of aligned at the Oscars, which was which was interesting. It it got the nominations, but nowhere near the uh, recognition it deserved. Uh, I think it's a movie that kind of this decade has forgotten in a lot of ways. Uh, which is kind of a bummer uh, i haven't seen it in a long time i'd love to go back and revisit it but um uh, really powerful movie and number three on my list
0: yeah it's a really good choice
2: and and like the first like like serious time we've seen we saw chris Pratt who had like a True. little tiny bit part as a soldier in seal team six all right, Todd, number
0: two. My number two is a drama history thriller war movie from 2018. It was on my top ten of 2018. It is called The Captain, and it's about this young soldier in the Third Reich near the end of the war. He abandons his army, and, but he comes across a Nazi captain uniform, and he uh, is really cold, so he puts it on, and he becomes sort of drunk with the power that the uniform gives him and makes it portray that he is one of the monsters that he's run away from and he kind of gets stuck with it. It's a really really good movie and um, it's one of those great examples of a movie that you don't know anything about and you turn it on and you're just immediately captivated by it right away. Uh, it has a lot to say regardless of what year it is I feel because it's, it's about sort of this in times of transition people are desperate for guidance so they'll kind of latch on to anybody who says they're a leader or acts like the leader or looks like the leader uh it's from the director of red and allegiant so you wouldn't really expect like a great movie to come out of that but uh it's it is one of the truly great movies of the last few years and uh there aren't a lot of traditional like war scenes in the movie but uh, it's more it's kind of more character based than that but uh it, it I mean it qualifies it was on imdb as a war movie so it qualifies the captain one of my favorite movies the last few years.
2: All right. All right. Haven't seen that either. Me neither. You're making, like, you're, you're making the list of uh, war movies I need to see, I feel like. All right. Zach, number
1: two. Okay, number two is um, a movie from uh, uh, France from uh excuse me, 2017, I think is when it was released in the United States. It was on my top ten list that year. It's a movie I haven't forgotten. It is called France directed by Francois Ozon, one of my favorite French directors. And it tells the story of, um, and it, again, it's one of those movies that it's not it, It's not listed as a war movie on IMDb, but I'm going to make an exception for it, because it absolutely is a war movie, even if it doesn't necessarily have battlefield scenes per se. But it is about the uh, widow of a soldier who has died in World War I. Um, she is a uh, German woman named Anna, who's played by Paula Beer. And one day she is sitting at her uh, dead husband's grave when another, another man appears. Uh, who claims to have known her husband, and they strike up a friendship and eventually a romantic relationship. Um, and this woman is, you know, still in the process of grieving. She lives with her um, her husband's uh, parents, or it might have been her fiance, if I'm actually remembering it correctly. Um, this is a really good movie that is about grief, again about victimhood, about uh, and, and one of the things I really like about it is that um, I think World War One. Is now so far removed from us that some of the you know you can have a movie like 1917 that shows the trench warfare of it and does it in a really kind of in your face sort of special effects way, but oftentimes what gets lost in movie in war movies is the emotional toll that that um, war takes, and this character played by Paula Beer is in a lot of um, grief, and it it's sort of a, uh, it shows that. The second half of the movie kind of moves over to um, France and uh, shows how, you know, these two countries that shared a border um, ultimately are forced to sort of reconcile in the uh, immediate aftermath of World War I. So a really powerful movie, maybe not a war film in a conventional way, but I'm going to say it's a war film. Uh, definitely one of the, the best uh, French movies to come out of uh, the 2010s, Francois Zones: France. 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 Well, France.
0: It does qualify. Drama, history, romance, war.
1: There we go. Perfect. I,
2: I remember when we any. talked about that one on your top ten list because we kept on giving you crap because it was France by *Francois*.
1: Yes. From and, France. Yeah.
2: From France. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember that.
1: Even though most of the movie doesn't take place in France, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> well,
1: Fargo isn't in Fargo
0: either. so.
1: That's true.
2: Uh, valid point. All right. Uh, number two on my list is the best documentary about war that I saw this last decade. Uh, it is from 2019. It is for Sama, uh, looking at the battle for Aleppo uh, in, I believe it's in Syria. Um, it is directed by the star of the movie, Wad al-Khattab. I forget how to say her name. It's been It's been too long since I've seen it to know how to say her name. Anyways. But it's it's the story of this couple who um, the the uh, husband is a doctor, kind of working with those that are getting injured in Aleppo, uh, and the wife is um, is a writer, a reporter, and becomes a filmmaker. And it's talking it's it's her documentation of what is happening, her their decision to stay and help instead of flee, and then. It's called For Sama because Sama is their baby daughter that they have while they're in the trenches in warfare in the middle of Aleppo, the city that is being destroyed, um, and uh, and they're making this movie for her to show her uh, the city that they loved and the city that they that they um, that they that their love grew in and and all those things and it is. It is beautiful. It is heartbreaking. It is taking war and looking at the big picture and bringing it down to really what it's all about. And it's about people and uh, and really the civilians that are affected by war, especially war like this. So it absolutely incredible, heartbreaking movie. If you haven't seen it, find it and see it for Sama, That's my number two
0: yeah i did not include documentaries i feel like the, that's almost a different category i have those in my honorable mentions but that's definitely a great choice
1: it is a great it's, choice
2: it, like i said i'm going with different different types so that that was my that was my documentary submission all right todd number one
0: well now that look at it this is my only repeat war uh it's uh it's also my only repeat mention of anybody's list. It's Zero Dark Thirty, drama, history, thriller, war. Uh I think it's one of the maybe two or three best edited movies of the entire decade and I think the controversy actually just increased the appeal of the movie. It doesn't pull punches. It's just brutally honest about what is portrayed. It's a thriller, it's a well-researched document, it's brilliantly acted and directed and the actual war sequences with the SEALs with um Chris Pratt and them like they're interesting but they're all in support of this like espionage thriller that's at its core and it is one of my favorite movies of the decade overall and it had to be number one uh for this list
2: I just like I said before I still love the fact that how many great movies like halfway through production realize oh man we have to completely rewrite the last like third of the movie because the actual real life ending has changed. I mean, and and still produce an incredible, you know, masterpiece of a film. It's just awesome.
0: Yeah, not, not many movies are that, like, on the topics that are in the news at the time that are they're making that movie that's that ambitious at the time. They're like, oh, okay, <laughs> things <Yeah>. have changed. <laughs> We can't release this now without this. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's pretty... I mean, it was such a daring project to begin with. It was just why it was so controversial, really.
2: Well, and, and, and a lot of the controversy of why it started getting shut out at the Oscars was also around some of the waterboarding scenes and how it talked about how, you know, it, it shows them in all their brutality and almost, like, sanctions them. It's like, well, it's not sanctioning them. It's just showing you what actually happened. And a lot of people that were that saw that said no 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 we can't honor a movie that's that's showing the brutality of war in that way it's like no but but war is brutal and this is what happened and it 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 almost felt like it was documenting dramatically the true life story right so i agree with you there
1: all right zach number one all right number one for me is a movie that terry recommended and a movie that terry had already mentioned so i'm just going to repeat it it is for sama and Uh, I echo all of Terry's sentiments. It's an extraordinary movie about, um, the Syrian civil war and Aleppo. And, uh, again, he, you know, it's been about a year since I've seen it. Um, I, but, you know, listening to Terry mention the idea of, do you stay loyal to the city that you love and grew up in, or do you abandon it because you have a young child and you want your family to be safe? Um, how everything is just captured on film is remarkable it feels like a historical document that's really important to watch um, especially because the syrian civil war does not get a lot of publicity or attention in western media outlets Um, to see the sacrifice that this woman makes uh, for her for her citizens for her country for her city um, and you know the families that are around her um, that desperately need the care that they need, and you know, not knowing if they're going to have any food or medical treatment. Seeing friends of hers that die and starve—it's—it's um, it's an absolutely horrific portrait, but um, one that I I couldn't honestly say any any fictionalized. Um, portrayal of war could match the impact of this decade. So for that reason, I understand the impulse to avoid documentaries, but uh, if I'm being honest, it's the war movie that uh, you know moved me the most this decade and you know, it just made the biggest impact. So it has to be my number one.
0: Not a fan of Zero Dark
1: Thirty? I think Zero Dark Thirty has not aged particularly well. Um, it's still a strong movie. I don't think it's as good as The Hurt Locker. I think there are passages of it that are unnecessary. It could have been trimmed by about thirty minutes. Um, I, it also feels very much in the vein of nineteen forties movies. Of oh, hey, look, there's James Gandolfini. There's Chris Pratt. Um, who look who's in this scene? Um, it just that that sort of takes away from it, and it builds up to the to the climax, but in a way that again has too many digressions. And when you reach the climax, it just sort of I don't know if it was totally worth it. Again, not to say it's a bad movie, but nowhere uh, for me as near as as impactful as it was when I first saw it.
2: And I think I've only seen it once. I only saw that one time um, when it first came out, so I probably need to see it again. Okay, my number one. Is a movie that has been talked about on the podcast recently because I think I recommended it and had Zach watch it probably a couple weeks ago. You think it's my World War One <laughs> <laughs> submission. It is the it is my second 2019 movie in a row. It's 1917. Um, it is uh, it's my like technical achievement submission on this list as well as my World War One. It is it's such a stunning movie and in, in just it the scope and scale it's able to, um, to bring about the, the continuous shot throughout the entire film. Um, the, and yet throughout all this amazing, just glory of showing the enormity of this war, the simple story that is at its heart. And that is these two guys that are, that are working their way, um, through the, through the lines, through the wilderness to try and find, um, find the the uh, front lines it's uh it's a brilliant movie actually just like last week it was on tv i think it's on it's on one of the the premium channels like hbo or showtime right now and i turned it on and just sat and watched like the last 45 minutes of it because it was just i i couldn't turn it off i was like oh 1917's on i just turned on and i just sat there and watched the rest of the movie because it's it, it is so engaging and so stressful to watch uh, watch George Mackay just just running through the field and running through everything, and then you have that moment of stillness where you hear him sing the hear the guy sing the song in the in the in the woods, and it, it's just beautiful, brilliant masterpiece. My favorite war movie by far of the of the decade. I had to. It has to be my number one.
0: Colonel Mackenzie. Colonel Mackenzie that's like the whole last 20 minutes of the movie It's just screaming <laughs> Colonel Mackenzie
2: <laughs> I have to find Colonel Mackenzie
0: <laughs> uh, yeah I kind of figured that was gonna be your number one I, I I wasn't as big a fan as you are I I, I like the movie but not 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 quite uh, good enough to make this list
2: and and Zach didn't like it at all but that's okay
1: I, you know, it it was fine. It just didn't deserve all the Oscar attention it got. But it's 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 a commendable movie.
2: All right. All right. I, I guess I'll I'll accept
0: that. Todd, honorable mentions? Okay, I have a lot of honorable mentions. Like, I mentioned Unbroken. I also had Thank You for Your Service, which is a really good PT, PTSD movie. Uh, Mudbound also qualifies according to IMDb. Oh, yeah. Um, I also one. have some obscure ones like Rip Hoggin, I think was a great movie from 2016 and I have Yimou Zhang's Shadow and Wong Kar Wai's the Grandmaster both great movies, a couple nominated for best foreign film, A War which is more of like a courtroom drama but it's uh, it's also a really good war movie and Timbuktu is also an amazing movie Lore is a movie I saw because of Zach. I was shocked it wasn't on his list uh, I'm not really sure why it wasn't um, then I have a couple animated movies In This Corner of the World and the, the Wind Rises, both qualify And five documentaries For Sama, Last Days in Vietnam The Act of Killing The Tillman Story and Restrepo, Which would have been arguably number one If I included documentaries Don't you love lore, Zach?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can pretend Oh, you know, I just left it off the list Just to mystify you, but uh, I, I forgot it <laughs> Okay <laughs> it should be on my list take off jojo all right
2: all right zach what honorable mentions do you have
1: well now that todd mentioned mudbound i would include that Mm -hmm. too i only had a couple more uh for what it's worth i think american sniper gets a bad rap and obviously our friend in las vegas loves it too so you know it 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 found um, (laughs) that that is true connection (laughs) um i would also mention timbuktu on this list i would also mention unbroken and I, I, there's a movie that I see on my list that I gave three and a half stars to called The Secret War, Secrets of War. And I don't know what it is. I can't remember anything about it. I gave it three and a half stars. It's qualified as a war movie. It's from 2014. So I'm just going to put it on there and say it's a really good movie.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Dennis that, that... Botts. Yeah, Dennis Bots. Yeah,
2: of course, we Th- gotta come to stable that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Apparently, it was really good. Three and a half stars. Or what does it say? What how's it? Pronounce that title for me, Terry.
2: Or uh, well, log,
0: logs. Or
2: That that's about as good as I'm getting Yeah, or logs. Or Hymen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with that. Alright, uh, I got a bunch of honorable mentions, too. Um, if I was just going straight through Best War Movies, one that had, nobody's mentioned yet, Dunkirk, I would have probably put on there. Um, but I felt like that was, one, World War II. I already had a World War II. I think it's a better movie than Imitation Game. However, the like like technical achievement, I've put that on like the same level as 1917. I think 1917 did it better. Um, another World War II movie that I had on there, I think Hacksaw Ridge has a bad rap. I'm one of the few fans of it, I know, but I, it was on my honorable mention. Um, if we're talking, uh, like, War on Terror time, I've got Restrepo as well on my honorable mention, and American Sniper. Again, I think, Zach, I think you mentioned it... it it gets a bad rap and not un, undeservedly bad rap. Yeah. It's a, good I don't know if it's the a last...
1: bad rap. I mean, it made what? $750 billion. Like I'm sure, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> bad rap, you know, I take that to the bank.
2: I, I know, I know. And, it, but it's not remembered well,
0: which is kind of is it the highest grossing
1: I... R rated movie ever. Do I have that right? What? One, one of, I don't one know of. if it's I, I the pretty sure
0: Joker took that. Oh yeah. Okay. That, that, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was Clint Eastwood's second best movie of 2014 Jersey boys. <laughs>
2: Um, so another one I'm going to throw out there is uh, Lincoln. Is listed on IMDb as a war movie. I mean, during I, Civil War, the fight I came for, that too. Yeah. yeah, fight for, uh, fight for slavery, uh, abolition, all that stuff. Uh, so I, then I have another honorable mention, and this is the honorable mention of uh, of things that didn't qualify for the list, but potentially could have been on the list. Um, and uh, it's stuff like Avengers Endgame I mean, that's not listed as a war movie in IMDb. Oh, come but come on, on. well, that's Infinity war, war is the war.
0: Endgame Game, not. <laughs> well,
2: that End I mean, that final battle though. That that is that is like straight up war there. Uh, also, you could have something like The Hobbit: The Battle of the Five Armies, the third installment of the Hobbit trilogy that was put out. I really like those that's movies. That's a little bit even better
0: though, than Endgame Like Endgame that's a fight scene. That's not a war.
2: Yeah. Hobbit: Battle of the Five Armies. It's a it's an all out war between five armies. I mean, it's in the title of the movie. How is it? Ellis does a war movie, and then uh, the last one or the uh, the last three are all uh, battles in Game of Thrones that I couldn't mention because we we're only doing movies. So Battle of Winterfell, I know was was uh, crapped on a lot throughout uh, that last season as not being as good as it should have been. I actually really liked it. I thought it was I thought it was just fine. Um, and then you also have uh, the Battle of Blackwater, uh, where uh, where um, oh, Peter Dinklage Tyrion was be, became a war hero, even though he was never remembered that way. And then of course the Battle of the Bastards, uh, where you have that famous scene where you've got Jon Snow trying to take on an entire army, and then the dragon comes and saves him, which is pretty amazing and awesome.
0: Mike Myers um, was not in that episode. No, no, Mike Myers, but
2: the Bastards, no. <laughs> No, it wasn't the dragon that saved them. It was it was the it was the uh, the peep, the um, the cousins. The cousins came and saved them. Yeah. Anyways, thou the bastards. That that was like, of all of them, that was like the most like. Like like um. What what what's the word I'm looking for? Like the most um, uh, thou satisfying that's the most satisfying of all the of all the the wars because it, it it ended the way it needed to end and the way it should have ended and you, you're just like yes god take that you piece of crap um so anyways yeah <laughs> that's that's my honorable mentions all right okay but you i mean you could argue that some of the some of the war scenes in in game of thrones are some of the better war scenes in in the last decade or the pacific
0: okay. you know or the
2: Pacific, yeah. I need to watch. I need to watch that again. I just saw. I, I as I was going through, Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga is like directing a couple episodes of Masters of Air. Anyways, um, <laughs> time to get to our game. Let's see how we did. Guessing Adam's list. Todd. I feel like this is one of the easier ones to guess, but I could be deceiving as well. What do you got?
0: I have number five, Fury, number four, Jojo Rabbit, number three, 1917, number two, The Breadwinner, and number
1: one, Zero Dark Thirty.
2: Good call on The Breadwinner. Good call. Yeah.
1: Is your, Zach, name, a, is your name a war movie? Um, I don't think I it looked it up. It's not. Okay.
0: Because <laughs> I still don't know anything about the movie. <laughs> he looked it up. He looked it up.
2: All right. Zach, what do you got?
1: My number five was Call of Duty Modern Warfare, number four is 1917, number three is Eye in the Sky, number two is Fury, and number one is Zero Dark Thirty.
2: Alright. So I I said that the Battle of Bastards would be in his honorable mention. So I, I have that. And then uh, number five, I have Lincoln, number four, American Sniper, number three, 1917, number two, Dunkirk, number one, Zero Dark Thirty.
1: I don't think he was a fan of Dunkirk, if I remember correctly. I was thinking of putting it on the list too, but I could be wrong. Uh, watch, right. watch it be number
0: one If he doesn't have The Breadwinner I'm going to be disappointed Because that is A war movie on IMDb
2: <laughs> Alright Well let's see What we got here Alright Honorable mentions He has 71
0: Wow He uh, saw that
2: Tangerines The Estonia International film Yeah that's a good one uh, Submission uh, Be some no nation Eye in the sky uh, The wall The wall Like the Matt Damon Great wall of China <laughs> Isn't he's that... a garbage. He actually—he's uh, the only person I ever know, known of that actually saw it. Um, Dunkirk and Overlord. The Wall like is the... a
0: 2017 movie with John Cena.
2: Oh, I'm thinking of the—is it the Great Wall? It might be the Great, yeah, yeah, wall. It's the Great wall. Aaron Taylor okay. Johnson
0: and John Cena are in this Doug Liman well, movie, The Wall.
2: That sounds a little better than him doing the Great Cena? Wall John Cena? His... <laughs> i don't know i could see him doing all right in a war movie
1: just he's a he's a roided up marky mark right
2: yeah, pretty much isn't overlord the like nazi uh nazi zombie movie
1: yes no, that- yeah yeah. I, yeah that sounds right that's rare exports isn't it no no
2: <laughs> all right here's his top five number five a war from 2015 Wow. The story of a Danish commander who was accused of civil murder in Afghanistan while trying to save his squad. Seeing the effects of, a, of the film not only take a toll on this commander, but also his family was something different. We usually don't see this side of things. It's a powerful film that was totally deserving of the Oscar nomination.
0: I didn't know he had seen it.
2: Ah, there we go. Number four, Zero Dark Thirty. Number four, it's in your top 100, man. One of my favorite films of 2012. One of, it's your number one. Your number one.
1: It might not have aged well for him. It didn't age well for me. It, it's fair. Yeah, but so he, he like
2: updates four. this stuff for me. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty is one of the most wordy, complex films on this list that gives credit to the due process involved in finding Osama Bin Laden. The final act, which sees a raid on the terrorist outpost hiding Bin Laden, is worth the wait. However, it as It... Uh, worth the wait, however, as it's extremely thrilling. Number three, 1917. I found this film to be highly intense. It plays out like a Call of Duty video game. <laughs> Call oh, of Duty!
1: <laughs> I should get a point for that.
2: Uh, at times, but I personally found this to be more enjoyable. Over t- Our two leads are really great in this film. One of the last films I was able to see with my dad. We were both impressed by the cinematography. Uh, number two, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Oh, I that.
0: I knew that By
2: far the best Michael Bay film since The Rock. Uh, John Krasinski was, like, he actually, like, put it, like, I had to say it like that. John Krasinski was a standout of this pretty solid cast for me. Lots of intense moments from the scenes in the market to the final act. It all played out intensely and had me and my wife on the edge of our seats. Yeah, but it's better than Zero Dark Thirty. Really? Okay. And number one is Fury. Uh, Before David Ayer went all DC, he gave us two of the most personal films he's ever made, End of Watch and Fury. Shia LaBeouf's performance has to be top five supporting roles of the decade for me. The tank battles were intense and something I hadn't experienced much of until watching this film. I thought it was uh, a really well done film that I have seen more than any other film on this list. All right
0: i had
1: three
2: i yeah i had two i had all i thir- know is i didn't win
1: <laughs> I, I had three but he mentioned all five of mine and uh including call of duty
2: yeah the fact that he said call of duty and all five were mentioned i don't know
0: he really did mention all
1: five of them yeah eye in the sky was the only one that was uh an honorable mention
2: well, oh, oh, because he mentioned Call of Duty in his in the one description. Yes. So he had three. Mentioned all five. Todd, you had three, but Zach, didn't you have Fury number two?
1: I had Fury number two. I had nineteen seventeen number, number three.
2: And I had nineteen seventeen number, number four. I'm I'm saying Zach's got it. He had Fury number two.
0: All yeah, five were mentioned. The Call if of Duty thing tone. is probably a tiebreaker. I didn't even give him the damn video game rule. I mean, I'm not going to argue that Zach should win. I'm just saying that, like, I, I, I can't believe he didn't have the breadwinner. <laughs> Wasn't that his number like one his... animated movie of the decade? Probably. Because yes. he watched it in preparation for the podcast, which had a zero chance of us figuring it out.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: all right okay zach is now at uh 17 and a half terry's at 15 and i am at 24
2: catching up man and i'm falling further behind all right
0: zach has to pick another decade list the last one
2: the last decade list last all decade list because it'll be our last our last power rankings of 2020
0: my other right. option for this one was best scores of the decade, which I, I feel like War Movies was a little bit more original.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, no, this was we a good list. More, We did a Mount Rushmore of score winners.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I it, it kind of feels too. like we. This yeah, was yeah, we've a good list. Like, we, we only had a couple overlaps. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's always a good barometer of if we have a good list or not, if we have a lot of different titles. And yeah, we were We were, expansive. We were
2: all over the place. It was good. All right. Trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so.
1: Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face.
0: This is going downhill quick. Trivia. We've got
2: some movies to report on uh, that Zach assigned us. Uh, Todd, you're going first.
0: All right. I had to watch the 1990 Alejandro Jodorowsky movie Santa Sangre, which is... uh, Better known, or not better known, it should be better known by its original title of Holy Blood. Uh, I think it should have definitely been known as that. Uh, It is a bizarre, like, avant-garde movie about this catatonic circus performer who uh, escapes a mental institution to try to rejoin the circus with his family, particularly his mother, who has no arms, Uh, and it's who uh, sort of manipulates him into committing murders with her body in his hands. Uh, And the circus is like this really weird religious ritualistic cult thing and a bunch of bonkers shit happens throughout the movie. I think Jodorowsky is an acquired taste. I'm not the biggest fan of El Topo. I think Jodorowsky's Dune is actually kind of boring. Um, The movie starts out pretty kind of quirky once you get to know like what this religious cult is capable of you kind of see how deranged everyone is it kind of is uh interesting um there's like this part where uh an elephant dies and they're trying to like send it into uh the next life or something so they put it on a hilltop and then they roll the casket off the edge to send it to the next life and it lands in a dump so that the the like the homeless village people can go eat it it's a really it's really weird it's like it's like Midsommar like Midsommar on steroids is what this movie is um yes it's like a it's like a Dario Argento movie at times um uh, I, I, I can't I can't help but think I wasn't expecting it to become that kind of movie. I'm not going to spoil it necessarily, but, like, the end of the movie is not where I was expecting it to go. Uh, it's like a beautiful nightmare kind of thing. Uh, I think The Last Half Hour is a little bit predictable, though. Uh, it gets repetitive. It's almost Shakespearean at times. I, I give it three stars. It, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a Todd movie, but it's a movie that I definitely would uh, I, I take in very easily. <laughs> Santa Sangre gets three stars. I want to know what Zach actually thinks of this movie, if he's actually seen it.
1: (laughs) Oh, of course I've seen it. I love this movie. This was one of my favorite movies in high school. Um, I showed it to all my roommates in college. We watched it at midnight. Um, it was uh, a classic. And yeah, the elephant burial scene is certainly one of the reasons why, along with the whole demented, you know, mother sort of Oedipal complex where she takes his hands and like plays the piano and shit. I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, I just really love. Um, well, first of all, I need to clarify something. You said that the ending was both predictable, yet not the direction you thought it was going to take. So I, I don't know what you mean by that.
0: Well, it. It's not, I mean it, it, I mean, it gets repetitive, I I, I would say, but, like, okay. where, where it actually went was not where I was expected it to go, like, into the territory of a certain Hitchcock movie kind of thing. Like, I, I was not where I was expecting the movie to go.
1: Okay, well, I, I really dig it. I think it's a cool movie. I like Joe Dorowski, I like his fascination with dwarfs, which I think is only shared with by one other director, and that's Werner Herzog. And, uh, you know, I like Mute weird circus performers and um i think this movie is unlike any movie that's ever been made and ever will be made and it's awesome
2: well i guess i guess the theme of this was watching movies that were just freaking weird because i had to watch the 2017 movie a ghost story written and directed by uh, david lowry uh starring rooney mara and casey affleck uh this movie is about um this couple and Casey Affleck ends up dying in a car accident and becoming a ghost. And, uh, he like haunts his house. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the movie. He, and he wears a sheet um, over his head. Like, and he wears a, a, like a sheet a over his head. Like a $5 special effect. They like, couldn't like, have done like anything better. On, <laughs> yeah, like full on, like, yeah. It, like, is like, it
1: Casey what? Affleck? That's the real question. Or is it someone else under there? We never know. So... It's so like the, the, one, the one
2: question I had was okay. He's on like he's on the table in the autopsy room in the hospital, and like she pulls just a little sheet back over his head, and then he sits up and it's the full sheet without a cut. And I'm like, how did they do that? That was like the one thing I was like, what? How did that happen? Um, now this movie is like almost comical at moments in how just awkward and bizarre it is. Um, and just this guy sitting around this house in a bed sheet that nobody can see. Um, I, yet at the same time, I haven't been able to get it out of my head over yes. the last couple days since I saw it. Exactly. It just kind of gets stuck in your head and I really don't know why. <laughs> um, I, I am, I am baffled by this movie. I do not know what to think of it. And I'm giving it two and a half stars for now. Um, I kind of want to knock it down another half star, though, simply for the fact that the, like, ten minutes that Casey Affleck was actually on screen in this movie was the sole reason why he had to look like a homeless person all throughout Oscar season (laughs) when he was winning everything for Manchester by the Sea. This is the movie why, and he's on screen like him himself, not under a frickin' bedsheet for like 10 minutes in the entire movie. It's like 10 minutes of screen time was the reason you had to have this weird looking beard and this matty hair that looked like you slept on the side of the road for the last month. That's why you had to look like that all through award season because you had to be on screen for 10 minutes in this movie. Really? So, um, Yeah. But two and a half stars, I don't know what to think of it. It's weird, it's bizarre, and I haven't stopped thinking of it since I saw it.
0: Yeah, I was convinced you were going to hate this movie, Terry, because I like David Lowry is so influenced by Terrence Malick that I thought you were just going to despise this movie. <laughs> but a lukewarm kind of two and a half stars, I mean, that's encouraging.
2: Again, I feel like I should bump it down to two. Well, and just
1: just to clarify, I don't know if I'm a fan of this movie or not. I had a very similar experience to you, Terry. I watched it, didn't really love it, and yet I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, it like, I, What did I, she
2: write on the piece of paper? Well, what did and, she write on the piece of paper? And how was it there? It yeah. doesn't make any sense that he was able to get it at that moment.
1: I think there are scenes in this movie that are extraordinarily powerful. Like, the end of this movie is, I think, very moving. Um... And then that's contrasted, when you said 10 minutes, I thought you were going to talk about the 10 minutes where Rooney Mara eats a cake on screen. And I'm, and, and that's the kind of yes. stuff that is frustrating about this movie. It's like... While
2: this, he sits there and watches? I mean, what kind of fetish is that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was then, hoping for some clarity, And then it clarity, goes all Terry. meta thought, where
2: you've got... It goes all meta at the end where you've got a, ho- a ghost haunting a ghost haunting people. I mean, yeah. what is going on? <laughs>
1: I was hoping you'd give me one definitive answer that it was either terrible or great. So you really haven't helped me. But yeah, the, this this movie's a Can Can the can the sideways viewer like watch it and, and give us their thoughts about it? Maybe Has there's Adam a beer seen in it this somewhere. movie? Yeah, I think, I think Adam think needs need to, to watch assi-
2: it. I think we need to assign this movie to Adam.
1: <laughs> I, Adam, yeah.
2: when you listen to this, you're watching a ghost story and you're reporting on it. Yeah. Like, your ne- next daily notes, you're reporting on ghost story. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's some a recurring thing. We have to assign Adam a movie, and he has to report on it on daily notes. I like this. We need to make it a thing. Uh, all right, <laughs> it's trivia time. Zach, what are we doing?
1: All right, I have a couple categories for you today. So we're just doing straightforward trivia. Today's category is, at least our first category is, there are there have been. Well, we are talking about Citizen Kane, of course, today. And the most notable thing, maybe, about... One of the most notable things about Citizen Kane is that it is a movie that only won, somehow, one Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Since Citizen Kane's Oscar win in 1941, there have been 33 movies that have won Best Original Screenplay and no other Oscar. So we're going to go back and forth and see if you can name all the movies that have won Best Original Screenplay, not adapted... And that was the only award that it won. And there are thirty-three of them in the nearly eighty years since uh, Citizen Kane won. So there's there's plenty to go through here. And so, good
2: grief, this is brutal.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and start with Todd.
0: Uh, almost famous.
1: Almost famous is correct.
2: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind.
0: That is correct. Sling Blade. No, that's not original. Hold on. Um,
1: Ghost. Ghost won Best Supporting Actress. Whoopi yeah, I was going to say Whoopi so won. That you are incorrect on that one. Should we get Mulligans? What do you think? This is a long enough right. list.
2: I don't know if it's gonna help. <laughs>
1: All right, well, okay. Well, I, I, I have a, you...
0: I have more options. I I was just I I didn't
1: have enough time to think about it fully. Let's let's go to Terry. Terry, can you come up with any?
2: Um, that's a great question. Uh, I was
1: I was thinking you would get more than than those, especially because there's been. Well, I won't say anything more, but some of these are are fairly well known.
2: Yeah, I I can't even think of anything else. No.
1: I have, um, I, have, I have I have some more some
0: more options. Okay, Todd, go for it. Uh, Juno. Correct. Lost, oh. Lost yeah. in translation. Correct. Dead Poets Society. Correct. G- Gosford Park. Correct. Um.
2: Todd is Todd is reser- rescuing your list here, Zach. <laughs> it's a great list it's just not one I'm gonna I'm gonna ace I
0: yeah I, w- I would have needed a, a second to uh, to formulate some opinions here
2: or a week
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah potentially
1: uh, yeah I guess that's good I, all, right, I, all right well there's a couple more that are worth mentioning get out um, her oh midnight in Paris how about pulp fiction um, oh, Dog- yeah. how about that Dog Day Afternoon, The Crying Game, Um, Thelma and Louise, Chinatown, and Talk to Her, one of the more inexplicable best screenplay winners of the last few decades. Chinatown
2: only won original screenplay?
1: Chinatown only won original screenplay, That's even not as weird
0: as Pulp Fiction not winning best editing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: All right, well, I have another category that we can also do, and that category is, you might have seen this, um, a couple weeks ago, the New York Times came out with their list of the top 25 actors of the uh, decade. Um, these were film actors, and I'm wondering if how many of the top 25 actors in their minds from this last decade you can name. I don't know if you saw this list. If you did, obviously, that gives you a, a, a leg up, but uh, it was sort of a controversial list that made the news. Oh, I'm sorry. It was the 25 greatest actors of the 21st century. Excuse me, not just this decade. Oh, that changes things. Yeah. And I'll also just tell you that one of the most controversial things about this list is that Meryl Streep was not on the list. So I will give you that right now. So it's actors and actresses. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, male and female. Yeah.
2: Okay. That changes things
1: too. Yes.
0: How is Meryl's had like eight nominations in the last 20 years. And I
1: will... (laughs) I will also clarify that this is an international list, so there, there are a few actors and actresses from around the world on this list. Okay, is, we're it, go... is it
0: film and television?
1: No, this is. Uh, hmm, good, good question. This, this really looks mostly like film. Um, I don't necessarily think they, they say it, but it, it's, a, it's a more film centric okay. list. Way more film centric. Okay, so we're going to go to you, Terry, because Todd started the last list.
2: I'm going to start with George Clooney. George
1: Clooney is not on the list. Seriously? Man. Did not make the cut.
2: He, like, owned a decade of of this century. And, wow. Okay.
0: Daniel Day-Lewis.
1: Daniel Day-Lewis is number three.
0: Yeah, I had him on my list, too. Is it still my turn, or is Terry getting a
1: mulligan? Uh, Terry, can you name any others? Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt is not on this list. Then I'm done. (laughs) Can you name any others, Todd? Uh, Denzel. Denzel was number one.
0: Uh, Jennifer Lawrence?
1: Uh, No, I don't think she made the list. How about Marion Cotillard? No, didn't make the list. Gael Garcia Uh, Bernal. Yes, he was 25 that's
0: international
1: it, 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 it was sort of a strange list um isabel huper was number two keanu reeves was number four which again sort of strange wow nicole <laughs> nicole kidman number five a bunch of asian actors then song kang ho and Zhao To. i don't know who those people are uh, song kang uh, ho is, is the dad in parasite yeah, in oh all, okay in all of uh
0: in all of Jun, Jun Ho long's movies
1: Oh, okay, okay. That makes more sense. Viola Davis, Shearsha Ronan, Julianne Moore, Joaquin Phoenix, Tilda Swinton, Michael, Michael B. Jordan, Oscar Isaac, Alfred Woodard, De- Willem Dafoe, Wes Studi, Catherine Deneuve, Mahershala Ali, Sonia Braga, and Melissa McCarthy. Sonia Braga?
2: Wow. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't getting that much further on that list. <laughs>
1: uh, so, so we'll call Todd the winner of this trivia, even though maybe it needs an asterisk next to it, but... Yeah, that
2: was fun. All right. Well, I I think honestly, I think Zach wins trivia here. But uh, so Zach, you get the first
0: (laughs) strawberries, not the cheese. Womack with a little sex in it. Quote of the day.
1: All right. Well, I actually have two quotes of the day, and it's the only two quotes listed on IMDb from the classic war movie from the 2000s, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. (laughs) The first line comes from the Nicolas Cage character who says, there will always be a war until we kill off our own species, which, again, sounds like a great Nicolas Cage line and, and idea. And then the second line comes from someone named Admiral Parnell who says, President Truman has chosen you and your crew to lead a highly classified mission. Such a quotable movie. I mean, my goodness, that's just, you know, that's like George Bernard Shaw dialogue right there. Herman Mankiewicz couldn't write dialogue like that.
2: Uh, all right. that Yeah. I'm going to go next. Uh, speaking of Herman Mankiewicz, uh, my quote is uh, about Mank. And this is uh, a Facebook post that's been making its, its, uh, its way around social media. Uh, it's by Paul Schrader. Our, our favorite Paul Schrader, um, he, he posted on Facebook, Mank, the film fails the first obligation of telling the story of a flawed protagonist to convince the viewer that this character merits two hours of their
1: time. <laughs> That's a good quote. That's a really a good co- criticism of that movie.
2: I know, it's a great quote. It's a great point that he makes there. So, yeah. Todd? Finish
0: this off uh, So I have two quotes Both from better David Fincher productions But they kind of go together So I'm going to give them together One is from House of Cards Francis Underwood says I've always loathed the necessity of sleep Like death it puts even the most powerful men On their backs Which is coupled with Tyler Durden In Fight Club who says well, It could be worse A woman could cut your penis off and, while you're sleeping And toss it out the window of a moving car There's always that. Uh, And I feel like there's a connection there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I always go to the wrong one last. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Because with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We'll be back at you next week uh, with uh, some more movies and a deep dive. And next week is our Christmas deep dive. Uh, we put a poll up on Twitter to figure that out, and as of recording, uh, there's still some time left. But it looks like the winner is going to be "It's a Wonderful Life." So tune in next week. We'll be uh, deep diving "It's a Wonderful Life," talking all things that. I wonder who the douchebag of "It's a Wonderful Life" is. That'll be a fun mm, conversation. It'd be better if we were doing a Charlie Brown
0: one. douchebag.
2: Well, yeah. But that... <laughs> that would be an interesting discussion for sure all right well uh until then um have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side
0: despite your crass behavior i'm glad we were able to do this together